Welcome to episode 19 of Right Where You're Sitting Now. Um, joined by one of our contributors, to, contributors, contributors to our site, uh, Adrian Dobby. Thanks for doing the show, Adrian. Hi, Ken. Thanks for having me. Pleasure yeah. to be here. Yeah, today we're going to be interviewing Lon Milo Duquette, who we've actually had on the show before. So uh, if you want a kind of more extensive history of who he is, I guess the best thing to do would be to go back to episode five, which is actually, I think, our most popular episode as well, which is interesting, statistically. Um, today we're going to be talking to Lon about kind of Enochian vision magic, which is the title of his latest book. And it's a topic that really interests me, and you know, I'm pretty sure it interests Adrian. Obviously, he wouldn't have been on the show with me. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yes, it does. <laughs> excellent. Well, uh, also on the show, uh, he's not on the intro or the outro today, but we do have him back again as well. It's uh, uh, George Mortar or Mort, as we like to call him, um, from MediaUnderground.net. Uh, I think he's going to be joining me on most of my shows, and I think Adrian, you're going to be doing some some of the shows with me as well, aren't you, in the future? Oh yes, I, I certainly plan to. Uh, anything that I can stick my oar into, I will do. Ah, right, okay. So yeah, we've got the usual regular features this week, including uh, we- weekly weird news, which I always get the wrong way around. It's either that weird weekly news I can never remember. Uh, we've also got uh, MySpace Heroes, which is a Daddy Tanks section. And actually, if you have any, if you're in a band yourself uh, and you want any kind of exposure from our end <laughs> if you sort of drop an email to daddy tank it'll be uh, daddy tank at sittingnow.co.uk and i'll get that email address set up tonight so that uh, you guys can get through to him um what else have we got oh yeah thanks again to taylor elwood who's been doing our guest features and he's been i think he's on his third one now which is quite cool so we're, st- we're looking for more features for more feature writers i should say uh so if anyone is interested in writing uh, for us, could they just send an example to me at uh, ken at sittingnow.co.uk? That would be great. Um, what else? I think that's about it. Let's, uh, let's just go across to Claire's Weekly Weird News. Greetings and welcome to the Weekly Weird News. So this week, I'm going to start out with giving Kim a shout-out for finding this story. A jogger named Michelle in Arizona last Thursday jogged for a mile with a rabid fox clamped to her arm. She said she knew something was immediately wrong when she saw it make eye contact with her and it walked toward her. Michelle managed to pry the fox off her arm and throw it back into the trunk before driving to a hospital. In name-changing news, a 19-year-old English fellow, originally George from Glastonbury, has decided that Captain Fantastic, faster than Superman, Spider-Man, Batman, Wolverine, Hulk, and the Flash combined is more fitting. 
I'm not even going to try to abbreviate that. So, uh, so Captain says that he changed it online for a mere $20, and as a result, his grandmother is so outraged that she refuses to speak to him. Wired.com reports that in the first analysis of genetic diversity in a modern agricultural commodity have shown results that industrial chickens lack about half the genetic variation that wild chickens have. Geneticists speculate that this means these chickens will grow less resistant to diseases. Animal geneticist Bill Muir, lead author of a study published in this week's The Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, says the same concern exists for other commercially developed livestock species, such as dairy cattle and swine. They've had a similar domestication history, but with perhaps even smaller breeding sizes. If commercial breeders don't introduce new stocks and your genetic variability will be exhausted. In more bad news for our chicken species, it has been discovered that low-flying hot air balloons have been the cause of death for nearly 30 chickens recently. It was discovered that the hens became incredibly stressed and their eggs, quote, exploded inside them, causing a fatal infection. In Sweden, health authorities have incited controversy in their decision to provide free prosthetic penises to transsexual men that are not fully functional, that is, able to urinate or become erect. Free, fully functional prosthetic penises cannot be offered, health authorities said, because there are regulations in place which, quote, bar them from using taxpayer money for products or procedures aimed that are considered sexual aids. A man from Seattle, James Ross, age 71, is dying from a rare form of cancer caused by the inhalation of asbestos and is now challenging the constitutionality of a court order that would require his body to be autopsied as a condition of his estate being paid a settlement. Strangely enough, the only exception to the state court rule would be for religious objections to the autopsy. His attorney, Bergman, battling the constitutionality of the Washington rule, says, Mr. Ross would have said the autopsy violated his religion, but he didn't because it isn't true. This is not religious, this is a matter of personal and moral belief. It is disturbing for a court order to inquire about his religious beliefs before deciding if he can have a waiver. And may Gus, the world's ugliest dog who just died of skin cancer, rest in peace. Okay, thanks, Claire, for the uh, weekly weird news there. That's, uh, I think I got it right this time around. If you want to send any weird weekly stories <laughs> to um, Claire, you can email her at claire at sittingnow.co.uk or just leave a message on the site at uh, uh, sittingnow.co.uk, <laughs> strangely. Um, right, so, so we're about to have an interview with Lonmoyle Duquette. So what, what is it that drew you to, uh, to Mr. Duquette's writing, Adrian? Um, well, I've been interested in uh, esoteric matters for many years and... Um, as many people do, sort of get attracted to the writings of Alistair Crowley and um, still very interested in uh, Crowley's work. But his, his writing can sometimes be extremely obscure and I, can't, I think the first book that I was of, of Lons that I was um, shown was uh, Secrets of Western Tantra or something like that. Anyway, I gave that a read and I real, realised that, that Lon Duquette's style He's very, very accessible, and he, he's got a very good way of breaking down the kind of obscurity and uh, cryptic nature of Crowley's writing and presenting it in a really straightforward, very accessible manner. I wouldn't say that that's, that's an excuse to not read Crowley, <laughs> but if you want a, a road in that isn't going to kind of bamboozle you, then, uh, then uh, Londoquette is, is a really good really good writer to have a look at if you're interested in the, uh, the Thelemic magical paradigm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's uh, somewhat of a kind of a superstar in his own right, isn't he? <laughs> oh, he is. Stuff, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's, 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 I suppose you could say that most of the great magicians are, are dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, and someone like Londoquette certainly represents... Uh, a living authority on such matters uh, and yeah he's a great guy as well yeah definitely he's uh, he's really quite funny and uh, again I always say this this is kind of what a lot of people miss with Crowley as well that he's actually got quite a good sense of humour 
Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like it's a, a prerequisite. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, having a good sense of humour helps you when you get into the occult. If you haven't got one, you're in trouble. Yeah, no, I've been really looking forward to talking to Lon on this interview, actually, because uh, Enochia magic is uh, one of those things that I kind of... I wasn't really drawn to originally again because of its uh, the way it's been written about previously it hasn't made it the most accessible of the uh, magical practices. <laughs> so oh, absolutely, I'd, I'd 100% agree with you. It's uh, it's something that I shied away from for a long time because although there's plenty of uh, stuff out there, I mean Crowley wrote a lot about um, Enochian and uh, there's plenty of Enochian stuff in the Golden Dawn system and there's plenty of books out there. It's a real, it's it's like kind of PhD stuff in a way, yeah. you know. People t- do tend to say, oh, if you get involved with Enochian magic, that's when things really start to happen and, um, and that kind of makes you think, right, well maybe I'll just get the... Uh, basics down pat to start off with and also it's it lends itself to a certain kind of person you have to be quite interested in the uh, the the complications of magic in order <laughs> to really sort of think hmm Enochian magic something for me yeah it's, uh, it's one of those more uh, it's not the easiest you can't just pick a book up and really do Enochian magic you need some various tools I think don't you and... well I mean you could do but um, I mean people always say well I mean the, the most important thing is that you actually do something yeah. and something will happen and um, as we'll find out when we uh, talk, talk to Lon, I, I guess, um, his book actually lays out a, a system which uh, is, is fairly new in one respect because it doesn't reference the Golden Dawn system of Enochian magic so much as looking at the original stuff that um, was worked by the guys at the time who first, first worked it out. Yeah, yeah. No, so I, th- I think, if anything, Lon's book is a good inroad for anyone thinking about doing Enochian magic in any of its forms, I suppose. So, and uh, again, oh, Lon's a great person to talk to and he always makes a great uh, great interviewee. So, uh, oh, he's a great raconteur, yes, we'll give him that. Yeah, definitely. So <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll cut to that interview now. Well, thanks a lot for coming back on the show, uh, Lon. Um, uh, just for the listeners that didn't hear episode five, do you want to give us like a super short biography? Me give a short biography? Super short. Um, well, I was born in 1948 and um, started getting interested in in all of this stuff uh, uh, during the 1960s. And as I mentioned in our last uh, interview, the, my my exposure to LSD in uh, 1966 um, probably was uh, uh, a turning point in my in my interests, and I got interested in Eastern mysticism, and that eventually led me to uh, uh, the the Western way, Kabbalah, and uh, and tarot, ceremonial magic, Aleister Crowley, uh, and all that fun stuff. Excellent. And today we're going to be talking to you about, uh, well, mainly about your new book, uh, which is a book about Enochian vision magic. Um, I was wondering uh, if you could just tell us, like, what kind of got you interested in the subject? Well, um, it was in the early years of my uh, uh, involvement in the OTO. I was chartered a lodge of uh, OTO uh, back in 1978 uh, in uh, Costa Mesa, California, and uh, you know, part of my perceived duties was to have a have a weekly class, um, and uh, that class has been going ever since then. I, Monday night class is still happening here at the house. Hmm. Um, but uh, you know, I I thought it would be uh, a good idea to try to stay 
at least one week ahead of the class in my magical studies. And uh, after a couple of years of making sure everybody kind of got grounded in their pentagram and hexagram rituals and and how those kind of translate to the to the Thelemic versions of those. I was running out of things to to um, teach at class, and uh, I had Regardi's at that time two volume set of the, the Golden Dawn, and and I had Crowley's um, Gems from the Equinox, and I was summoned through that, and I found the the Enochian material uh, in Gems from the Equinox, and it. And it looked exotic enough and sexy enough, and I thought, well, maybe we'll we'll study this for a couple weeks. Uh, and uh, once I started uh, studying it, uh, the whole thing just completely went totally over my head. <laughs> Had no idea what what's going on. I'm sort of sort of panicked that uh, wasn't going to be able to even master the fundamentals enough to teach a class the following week, but I I uh, attempted to wrap my brain around what they were uh, talking about, and uh, I started uh, an Enochian workshop where the class and I would more or less study the material from the Golden Dawn and, and Crowley, build the, the requisite Temple furniture and uh, and more or less all learned together uh, this Enochian system hmm. and uh, so the the class went on for for uh, several months while we were actually building the equipment and uh, that's kind of how I got started I I sort of committed myself to teach uh, to teaching something new so Lon and, um, uh, if if I could just interject there. We're talking. Sure. We're talking about a system of magic called Enochian. Now, uh, that was originally uh, received by uh, two men back in the Elizabethan era, called John Dee, Doctor John Dee, and Edward Kelly. Could you tell us a little bit about those two men and the work that they did? Well, John Dee was um, a classic Elizabethan magus. He was uh, the uh, arguably the smartest guy in England, arguably the smartest guy in the world at that time. And uh, he was a brilliant, brilliant uh, uh, young man. He came from, his father was a gentleman server to Henry VIII. Uh, he went off to uh, uh, Cambridge as a, uh, well, I guess he was still in his teens, and uh, within short order he was he was teaching there. And uh, he was a brilliant mathematician, uh, but he was a well-rounded magus that included, uh, 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 you know, every every art and mechanical science, and uh, uh, and in those days that included astrology um, and uh, and hermetics. And uh, John D. Uh, well, first of all, he's one of the most interesting characters in history. Period. Uh, I urge anybody just to Google John D. and just see about his his life in the non-magical realms. He was really quite a character. And he was quite a, he, he was a, a, almost like a celebrity in his own day because uh, he, uh, from what I've read, uh, Shakespeare based the character of Prospero in The Tempest very much on him. So he was quite well known, wasn't he? Yes, he was. And uh, even when he was uh, uh, a very young man uh, and he published uh, 
um, uh, some books on mathematics, including uh, a commentary on the propositions of Euclid, which is still taught uh, today. Uh, he was like a, uh, an academic rock star. Uh, he'd, he'd go to the, uh, the continent and, and give lectures, and uh, uh, people were hanging from the rafters to, to hear him talk. I mean, they were, they were everything short of throwing their mathematical panties on stage. <laughs> so tell us, how he, tell us how he then uh, went on to uh, decide to uh, work with this particular system of magic and how it was received and, and the, the partnership between himself and this uh, rather roguish character, Edward Kelly. Well, uh, when, when Elizabeth uh, took over and he uh, was... Uh, was helpful in Elizabeth coming to power in the first place, but um, when she came to power, uh, he, uh, she asked him to, you know, astrologically set the date of her coronation, and uh, uh, he was her counselor, she, uh, her, her, her buddy. She trusted him, and um, uh, she trusted him so much, and he traveled abroad so much, and he spoke all of the European languages so fluently that she enlisted his services as a spy, and he loved that. He loved that role, and he was known as the Queen's Eyes, and his, the little glyph that he would sign his secret dispatches um, it was like a little cartoon of the Queen's Eyes, two zeros and, a, and a, a roof over the top and sort of a slanting line uh, coming down from the top. Uh, uh, towards the left, it was literally 007. He was the, the first 007 in, in England's, arguably England's first great uh, secret agent. And part of his um, uh, spying technique uh, was to develop more and more uh, complex ciphers and codes uh, so that he could uh, uh, send secret dispatches to Elizabeth without... Uh, them being intercepted and um, and interpreted, and uh, he he relished that role. And uh, but being the visionary genius that he was, uh, he wanted to uh, spy for Elizabeth uh, without having to get on a boat and go to Europe and and traipse around. Uh, the continent spying on people. He just wanted to sit in the comfort of his own house in Mortlake and spy in remote view. He wanted to do that. So the Enochian system was originally set up as a, as a system for spying remotely. Yes, and um, and, and so, so there was. It wasn't an unscientific uh, thought for the day. Okay, sure. it was high. It was a high tech idea. And uh, but uh, uh, the, the magical techniques of the day. Uh, there were two major major uh, branches of, of uh, magical technique that was popular in the day. And, and the one is Solomonic magic, where you where you whip up an infernal spirit into a triangle and and uh, uh, bamboozle it into thinking that you're God or one of God's uh, henchmen and uh, then you uh, you know order it to go bewitch your neighbor's cow or whatever. Um, but there was another there was another branch that uh, that uh, fascinated Dee, 
and uh, it comes under the very loose generic uh, uh, title of Almadel magic, and, and, and that you don't hide in a circle or whip a demon or a spirit into a triangle. You literally turn part of your house into holy ground in the same way that, uh, you know, the burning bush was was holy ground in the in the story of Moses and the burning bush. And uh, uh, the, the technique was uh, uh, that you clean yourself up, take a bath, which is in and of itself was a crazy idea unless it was May. <laughs> yeah. And then you put on clean clothes and you feel all all uh, all noble and and holy, and you walk into a room that you've uh, set aside and consecrated just for this kind of work, uh, and it's all cleaned and swept up. And in the middle of the room is the holy of holies, which is a table, a magic table, uh, usually with a, uh, a hexagram or other devices uh, drawn on it, and the magician places. Um, you know, uh, magical things, magical toys, uh, w- whatever the particular magician is is uh, uh, inspired by uh, is on the holy table. And then the magician falls down on his knees before this, this holy table and literally freaking whines to God for about an hour <laughs> until he has a nervous breakdown. And uh- now, Lon, that, that's what interests me about Dee is that he's, you know, he, he was such a learned man of uh, mathematics, literature, um, philosophy, and navigation. I mean, the cynics of the time surely would have thought, you know, how could a, a, such a learned man possibly preoccupy his time with the study of something like occultism? Um, what, what do you, what do you think, led to his pursuit of that? And you know, I mean. In the same well, kind I, of vigor, I, in the same kind of vigor that he did for the more tangible science. Well, it did. It does. Uh, it does to us right now. But in those days, where we literally everyone had a had a literal um, interpretation of the Bible, uh, the Bible was to to people as much as a scientific text as as anything else uh, printed, and not much else was printed. Uh, that uh, if uh, if God did it for Moses and Esdras, and if He did it for Joshua, and if He did it for Aaron, uh, then by God you can do it for me, you know. <laughs> and um, and it wasn't. Um, uh, of course, he had to maintain a pretty low profile because he was he was uh, uh, stepping dangerously close to uh, to heresy and witchcraft. Um, but until he crossed that line, uh, magical uh, endeavors uh, were considered as scientific as as uh, any other any other thing in the, in so, the imagination. So, so it wasn't, was, uh, he wasn't too too far out of the reservation uh, by doing it. But the thing is, he could write wonderful. Inspirational, long, long, whining prayers, uh, and uh, but what he couldn't do is uh, I, I call it a nervous breakdown. Okay, the, the thing is that the, the technique is you got to throw yourself out of or into an altered state of consciousness, where by conversation with angels or God is not uh, is not an irrational. Uh, Pursuit. So the, the the technique, if you if, if you read 
kind of classic techniques of of uh, um, the, this type of magic. And and at the moment, this isn't Enochian magic. This is just Almadel uh, holy table magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, they, they they start off with a confession that that oh my God oh I'm such a I'm a worm oh Almighty God I'm a worm. I don't deserve the dirt that I eat. I'm Lord Poop. Please, I don't deserve the air I breathe. And then alternately, after all of this self-abasement, you 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 presume to penetrate into the very mind of God. So it's I'm a worm. I'm a worm, but I want to access the mind of God directly. And you go <laughs> and you go back and forth and back and forth until you you do. You have a little nervous breakdown, and in that nervous breakdown. Theoretically, uh, your mind, your rational mind, is overcome, and uh, you can you can talk directly to to angels. Now, D could whine with the best of them, but he couldn't do the nervous breakdown thing. He couldn't he couldn't do uh, his left hemisphere of his brain was so focused and so engaged uh, because of the brilliance of his intellect. Uh, I mean, his left hemisphere was so big that he probably had to wear custom hats. Okay, <laughs> so he he put an ad in the paper, or or he advertised for for right hemispheres. And this is where uh, Edward Kelly comes in. And this is where Edward Kelly comes in. Uh, uh, D uh, D tries out a couple of uh, clairvoyants, um, and one of them worked pretty good. A guy named Hathaway, but. Uh, uh, for one reason or another, he couldn't hold on to one. And then, then one day, uh, uh, Edward Kelly appears at his door. And uh, actually, at the time, he called himself Edward Talbert for some reason. And um, the, he eventually gives uh, uh, Talbert a try, and it uh, it seems to be the the right formula. These whining and note-taking in Kelly's, uh, Kelly's scrying. And it became a, a very, uh, from one point of view, a very successful partnership because um, Kelly made, uh, uh, supposedly made angelic contact with the very first uh, time uh, he was tried out. And, uh, and Dee hired him on the spot. And for the next, uh, next few years, these guys were partners. And for three of those years, or nearly three of those years, they were on this one particular project. This, uh, and this project yielded uh, diary material that uh, was uh, taken up in the 19th century by the Golden Dawn, and uh, then, uh, then Aleister Crowley. But uh, I need to point out, and the reason... Uh, that I wrote yet another Enochian <laughs> magic book um, was the fact that the, that the heavy stuff, the Enochian magic that we're, uh, modern magicians are doing today, uh, was just developed from the material that was created in the last 90 days of their angelic uh, workings together. And prior to that, there was... Uh, 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 two other distinct magical systems that uh, uh, that produced uh, some of the paraphernalia that that we're familiar with today, but uh, 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 
the Golden Dawn didn't comment on, and, and neither did, did Crowley. So we have this cream of the crop kind of uh, 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 system of visionary magic that was developed in the last 90 days. Uh, but uh, all this time, we've more or less uh, ignored the preparation process that Dee and Kelly went through um, in the years prior to that juicy material coming down. And this and is what I your book, this is what your book, Inoki and yes, Vision Inoki Magic, goes into in some magic. detail, isn't it? Yes. And um, and it's something that that uh, I sort of developed over. Uh, um, uh, a couple years of a very lengthy uh, Enochian magic class series here at the house. Uh, primarily, the material was developed in uh, in two 30-week uh, magical classes. Well, one thing I was going to ask you before we go on to kind of like a definition of Enochian magic: um, uh, the actual uh, system that. Uh, D and Kelly developed the, the, the tools they used were incredibly intricate, weren't they? I mean, could you go describe a little bit, you know, kind of what they used to receive this uh, system? Well, ultimately, um, or primarily, uh, they uh, they used themselves uh, early on in the angelic communications. The the I'll call them angels, okay? It's okay. The angels told Dee and Kelly that they, they viewed them as one person, as one mind. And, and, and this may be a, a real big clue to, the, uh, to their, uh, their success. Uh, they, uh, they represented, at least to the intelligences of the, the angelic intelligences, one, one unit, one intelligent unit. So, they in themselves, the magic, the chemistry between these two men, uh, was probably their 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 greatest number one tool. But the, uh, as I as I studied the the original material in in more detail, it became clear to me um, uh, the nature of this angelic uh, intelligence and. Um, if you can imagine, just I'm going to simplify, simplify it, uh, you know, to the extreme, just to prove my point. But um, D might ask uh, the angels, "I'd like to know whether my friend Prince Lasky, over there in Poland, is uh, is going to um, be the next king of Poland. I'd like to find that out. Can you tell me that, Mr. Angel? You know." Hmm. And in so many so many words, the angel answers back. Uh, holy shit, yes, I can tell you that. Um, but, you know, in order for us to communicate uh, uh, that to you in a way that you can understand, we're going to have to, um, you're going to have to understand and experience how the universe was created uh, in, in order to arrive at a place where there is a Poland, where there is a Prince Lasky, where there is a you. In other words, we're going to have to tell you how the universe is created, okay? Because this is, uh, at least from our point of view, and and uh, they said it'll only take a minute, yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, and never never listen to a spirit when they tell you anything about it. it's only going to take now, the, a minute. The spirits were communicating. The spirits communicated with Dee and Kelly in a way that Dee was very very familiar with. He was a cryptographer, and he was. 
Correct. concerned with creating codes, very intricate codes. And the way that the angels communicated with Dean Kelly was very much in that format, wasn't it? Could you give us a very brief yes. idea of how that, was, how that communication worked between the, the men and the angels? Well, it, it's almost like the, the angels' um, attempt to um, uh, recreate uh, in a way that Dee could appreciate and understand, recreate the dynamics from the Big Bang all the way to, to where we're at right now, to the working universe that we have right now. And, um, uh, and for that, they, they used alphanumeric squares. And Dee loved alphanumeric squares and... Uh, uh, ciphers that, that used alphanumeric squares. And um, uh, even before Dee met Kelly, Dee was trying to decode the universe with alphanumeric squares. And, and one of the tools that he was using is this book, a uh, thing called the Book of Soiga, S-O-Y-G-A. And the Book of Soiga was, um, or included, 49 pages, of uh, each page had an alphanumeric square uh, based on uh, the uh, zodiac and uh, planets. Uh, each of the 49 pages had a 49 or a alphanumeric square 49 by 49. And if you can imagine that, uh, physically imagine that book, that book would be a cube, 49 by 49 by 49, and each of the squares uh, uh, containing a number and a, and a zodiacal or, or astrological figure of some kind. Now, even a simple alphanumeric square uh, contains almost an infinite amount of information uh, or potential information. Uh, if you just do a square three by three and put numbers one through nine and... and uh, you know, nine planets uh, in there, the, uh, and, a, and a letter. All of a sudden, it's all things, uh, uh, A is all things one-ish. And <laughs> can you imagine how many things are one-ish? You know, all <laughs> things two-ish. You know, then, there, then you bring into to, to, uh, uh, to play the letter and the sound of the letter uh, that the, the human body has to make to make that sound, and then you bring in the fact of its relative position to all of the other alphanumeric squares and just that simple square, and all, all of a sudden, just with a 3x3 three three square, you have almost an infinite amount of, of potential information. Imagine the amount of information in, in a square, alphanumeric square cube, 49 by 49 by 49. It's almost like a fractal, this, isn't it? Kind yes. of fra fractal information. It is fractal. It grows like that and uh, coming out and going in. Sure. And um, uh, I, I sort of picture it as, as if we could put the pre-Big Bang singularity under a microscope to see the potential information of a manifest uh, universe all encoded in this cube. And, of course, the Masons and the Hermeticists always say the cube pops open and becomes a cross and all, you know, all of that stuff. Sure. Uh, so it's, uh, D was already trying to discover the secrets of the universe in the Book of Soiga when, when Edward Kelly came knocking at the door. 
And um, uh, so this tells us that, that D didn't want to receive a revelation. He didn't want to get his information from a burning bush. He didn't want a pretty angel to come down and stroke his hair and tell him the secrets of the universe. D wanted, D saw the universe as a code that needed to be cracked. So he and that was the only results. way. Yeah. Now, I wish D had been a plumber or something else because it, it makes it so hard for us mere mortals to, uh, uh, you know, follow his, uh, follow his things. But the angels started off right with that. They started uh, building, uh, uh, having D and Kelly build uh, uh, lettered squares, full books of lettered squares. And um, uh, then they would take uh, those books and distill them down. Go to page 35 of this other book over here and, and on column column the 16th column in the 45th row <laughs> put that number or put that letter down i mean it was so tedious mm. and and uh, at every stage of their at their operations together the angels started all started off with these uh, massive amounts of alphanumeric squares that they distilled into smaller and smaller squares and until finally they got they've got the letters down to a manageable number, and with those letters they adorned uh, uh, physical pieces of furniture and things that they wore around their necks. And and uh, when it comes right down to it, uh, the material that we've been familiar with seeing the images like the holy table and the lamin and the sigillum DMS, all of these very complex. Uh, um, uh, pieces of furniture and, and magical uh, uh, devices. When you put them together, they they represent a, a working model, a miniature working model of the universe as it stands, the manifest universe as it stands. And right in the middle of this incredible machine, this model of the universe. That's where they set the, the black obsidian mirror that they look into while, while they do Enochian magic. The angels appear in the mirror like it's a monitor of, <laughs> of a big worldwide web. So, I mean, we keep uh, using the word Enochian. Could we just go back a sec um, and actually discuss what Enoch is, you know, what, what Enochian is? Well, who was Enoch? Yeah, we, who talk was Enoch? About, yeah. we talk about Enoch. <laughs> And Enochian magic. Yeah, Enoch, now, Enoch. What, what was the eighth man from Adam or something like that? Yeah. Um, Enoch was um, uh, a biblical patriarch. Uh, Enoch was um, Noah's great grandfather or something. Uh, he, he, he came really early. And Enoch, according to biblical uh, mythology, Enoch uh, walked with God and talked with God directly and uh, talked with uh, God's angels directly. And that's exactly what Dee wanted to do. He just so, wanted to talk with angels. He said, I'm smart enough. I'm as smart as Enoch. I can talk with angels. So who coined and, the term? Uh, who, taught, who actually coined the term Enochian? Was it Dean Kelly or was it the later sort of 19th century magicians who, who gave it that name because it was angelic magic? It was... Uh, 
although Enoch played a part, and their their search for the the lost book of Enoch uh, represented a, a, a big part of the second uh, uh, second phase in their operations. They never called the language Enochian. Sure. They never viewed it as as Enochian. This was something that came out of the the uh, um, imaginations of the of the Golden Dawn folks. Okay, you mentioned the language. You mentioned the language there, but, and I think that's an important thing to bring in now. Is that Dean Kelly actually received not only cryptographic squares and and all of that, but they actually received a language and an alphabet which is said to be the alphabet and the language that is spoken by angels. Could you give us a little bit of information about that, please? Yes. Uh, During their second phase, uh, uh, they they were given a series of of angelic calls. Uh, But these calls that they they, they were given, and it and it took them a long time to receive these calls. They all, they came from they came from uh, uh, you know letters picked one by one from from alphanumeric squares. Um, but they didn't do anything with these with these calls, uh, and they seemed to move on. It seemed like the exercise of of receiving the calls uh, was just was an exercise uh, in attunement. Uh, just to 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 hone D and D and Kelly's uh, uh, skills, but in the last 90 days, the the, the period that we uh, that modern magicians term as the Enochian period, they received yet another uh, series of calls, and this time they they received uh, uh, translations of the calls. They received the calls first. Uh, in the book, I try to uh, stress how incredibly uh, bizarre their reception of these calls and the language that, that went with them were. Uh, it was more than a double-blind, triple-blind thing. They, they, they received... Uh, uh, well, it it take up all of our time for me to just sure. to tell you the wonder story <laughs> of how they got this language. But once the calls were all received, and once the calls and they received, you know, letter by letter, and four of them, four of the calls were received letter by letter, running backwards and then played forward. <laughs> um, once. They got the translation. They discovered that it was a real language. That nouns were nouns in all the calls. The same verbs were the same verbs. There was grammar. There was syntax. It's a real. It's a real language. It's a. It's a mind-blowing thing. And this puts and, uh, people who say that uh, it was all made up by Kelly and. Uh, it's all just a big hoax. When you actually look at the way that this thing was received and, and when you look and, and uh, linguists have looked at Enochian and basically said, yeah, this really is a language with syntax, um, it's extraordinary to think that this was received out of nowhere. Uh, yeah, and it's as far as I know, it is the most extraordinary uh, and, and well-documented uh, uh, magical event in history. Sure. 
and uh, uh, Donald Laycock, uh, who's the famous linguist. He's not an occultist. Uh, uh, Laycock was so so fascinated by this the the, the whole the whole thing that he, that he uh, uh, took the time in the latter part of his life to to, to write the, you know the complete Enochian dictionary. And, and here's coming from a man that's not even a <laughs> not even an occultist. I don't even know it if he's a man. You know, the, <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, it is very very interesting. And in the last days, literally the last hours of Dean Kelly's angelic um, operation, the the angels um, explained how. Uh, the, the well, I got to back up a week or two. Okay, for their last days, uh, the angels broke up the the world into 91, 91 uh, parts of the earth. And here we're getting to the answer of the question: Is my friend Lasky going to be king of Poland? Okay. Out to the chase. So, yeah. So finally, after years, the angels are saying, "Okay, now we've gotten to the point of where we can tell you where Poland is in all of this." You know, and uh, so they break up the 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 world, and they 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 give the. Uh, you know what what the Englishman would understand uh, the parts of the earth to be. Well, this part is Egypt, okay, and um, and this part is Syria, and then they say, but uh, we we call Syria Pascom. That's how the angels pronounce it, Pascom. You know, mm-hmm. okay, very good. And uh, in this this last ninety days, they uh, again they bring in uh, alphanumeric squares. Uh, this time four big ones, 13 by 12. And then they, they, uh, uh, they fill these squares with uh, 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 little designs, little squiggly lines. They actually, uh, Kelly hallucinates the lines right on the things and he drives these skinny lines. And then they fill, the angels dictate these letters from left to right uh, coming down. Uh, fill them with letters, some of them capitalized, some of them not capitalized. And uh, by the time they're, they're all filled up, they realize that, that the, these squiggly lines all start with a capital letter, and they spell out a seven-lettered name, and these seven-letter names are, the, are the, the names of these 91 parts of the earth. That in itself is a mind-blowing thing. But in the last day of, of the communications, uh, the angels say, oh, by the way, the, you know, the names of the parts of the earth, those are also the names of governors that rule 30 heavens. It's ongoing. And he doesn't <laughs> D doesn't doesn't know how to handle it. He he, he starts an argument with these angels. He says, "Oh well, my God, this you trying to tell me that everything in heaven and earth is connected to everything else in heaven and earth?" Sounds familiar. Really <laughs> well, hell yes, we are. You know, and um, and D is his mind is blown, and he gets snitty with the angel, and the angel finally says, "Look, you guys." You got everything you need. You got the language. You got the, you've you've got the big key. Uh, we've taken we've taken almost three years of your life to to 
to show you the design and the, 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 the theory and the blueprint for a Ferrari. Not only that, in, this last, in these last 90 days, we've told you how to build the Ferrari. You've got enough. <laughs> Get in the car and turn the key yourself, you know. And, you know, they never did it. No, that's interesting. After that's interesting. they were they were given uh, perhaps the, the 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 key to a to a wonderful wonderful formula of uh, magic. The, the car was there, the key was in the ignition, and and these guys got so tired of each other uh, <laughs> during during this whole thing that they said, "Screw it, you know, let's let's move on to something else." But thank goodness the material survived. In your book, you spell out uh, uh, three different sections, the ring, the laman, and the holy, tab- the holy table. Could you talk a little bit about those for us? Well, this is very, very early on. The angel said, well, before you're going to start doing any of this magic, you've got to have the ring of Solomon. Hmm. And um, there was a very dramatic, dramatic uh, uh, vision where the angel had this fiery ring of gold, and he threw it through the table, and it fell on the floor. And and uh, but they gave a design. It's kind of a simple design. It's in the book. Uh, and they said, without this ring, you should do nothing. So the right off the bat, they're saying, whatever, whatever this, whatever the the. The virtues of this ring is to do our stuff. You need to have this ring on, and it's a simple enough statement, and it's it's uh, straightforward enough that that uh, during the second of these thirty-week classes that I did, I uh, I made up a bunch of paper rings, and uh, we didn't do any magic without first putting that ring on. Second one was the holy table and the lamin. Uh, now the the lamin and the holy table were were constructed through the distillation of of alphanumeric squares, and um, uh, the lamin is almost uh, a miniature version of the holy table, and the holy table has all all these dynamics of of, uh, of the universe. It has a lot of moving parts. And the lamin, which is worn over the the, uh, the breast of the the magician, is uh, built from the same alphanumeric squares, but there is uh, an it is not symmetrical, and it's kind of hard. It's easy to show in the book with a couple diagrams, but uh, uh, Suffice to say that uh, each of these Enochian letters uh, um, represent an angelic force, and when put together, they spell the names of of uh, seven sets of seven angels. Uh, and the the highest of the two in each set is is the prince and the king. So the, there's like a prince and a king of of the sun, and a prince and the king of of uh, Venus. Uh, and the holy table is set up in uh, in such a way that it that it reflects the perfect match of king and prince. In other words, it's uh, it, it's it's perfectly tuned. It's like an 
I keep going back to an automobile. It's like an automobile engine that that's perfectly tuned. Well, let's okay. uh, let's let's jump forward a little bit. We, uh, Dean Kelly have created this amazing machine, and they've they've received all this incredible information, and it's almost like John D was was all for the thrill of the chase. And when he'd finally got the final pieces of information, he lost interest and went off and did something else. So that, that information kind of kicked around for a while, for a long time. A lot of it was lost for a while, wasn't it? And then it was sort of mysteriously yeah. found and then taken up by the, the, uh, uh, the founders of the Golden Dawn. So I think maybe it'd be a good time to sort of start looking at how people actually started to use and work with this information that Dean Kelly never seemed to have actually worked with once, once they'd got hold of it. So um, could you tell, tell us a little bit about the, uh, the Golden Dawn and, and uh, how people like McGregor Mathers got hold of this information and sort of uh, syncretized it along with a lot of other um, hermetic stuff? Right. Well, the, the, the Golden Dawn was this, this marvelous uh, uh, organization that uh, succeeded quite well in synthesizing... Um, uh, centuries of, of uh, hermetic thought and, and uh, practice into, into a, a very workable uh, initiatory system. And it was a system that, that was based on, on very comfortable and, and uh, recognizable and cozy Kabbalistic principles that, that uh, uh, saw the, uh, the, the universe, saw the macrocosm, as uh, as being broken up into four four major major categories uh, uh, corresponding to the four letters of the great name Yod Hey Vav Hey, and uh, that gave us uh, uh, the point of view of, of four kabbalistic worlds: um, the archetypal world, and the creative world, and then the world of of uh, formation, and then the material world. And those have their reflections in the human soul, uh, starting at the bottom with the, you know, the physical body and the, the animal soul, and then the intellect, and then the the, the creative part, and and then the the, the the life force itself. And it's just so easy to think about uh, the fundamentals of fire, water, air, and earth, and uh, uh, the the creation of of the uh, Macrocosmic uh, things broken up into the signs of the zodiac and the planets and and uh, the elements and how all of this springs from the the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet and it, in other words, it's this marvelous uh, uh, structure, a schema uh, uh, that the Golden Dawn could literally is a filing cabinet. The Golden Dawn could could classify any form of, of uh, spiritual thought or level of consciousness into this very, very convenient system that, uh, uh, based on the, on the tree of life and the ten sephirets of the, of the tree of life and the, and the, the 22 paths. So, um, um, so, so, they managed so to, they, they managed to meld together the two systems. The, um, they, they found well, they enough common to... ground with the angelic stuff and sort of bolted it together with the with the Kabbalistic hermetic stuff and made well, a working system from it. Yeah, what I'm saying is they found a little bit of the Enochian material that fit their matrix. Sure. Okay, 
just a little bit of it, but it's it's that little bit that I described right right uh, toward the last there with those four tablets uh, with 13 by 12 squares. They ended up calling those elemental tablets, yeah. and uh, th- they assigned uh, the idea to fire, water, air, and earth on those. And they saw how easily that they could split those tablets uh, into four sections, and the big cross that split them had 36 squares, which is just perfect for the 36 decans of the zodiac. And uh, uh, each of those little squares or subangles, they could they could subdivide it to fit all of their nice, neat little little uh, very anal retentive hermetics of the golden <laughs> dawn. They could squeeze it all. And where where they couldn't squeeze it, they made it. They, so they made it fit. So they used a small amount of the Enochian uh, system, but in your book, you definitely you deviate from that because you've written books before about the sort of uh, the Golden Dawn system of working Enochian. But what's different about your latest book is that you put forward a a, a system of Enochian working which deviates quite sort of dramatically from from the accepted uh, manner of Enochian working that that. Uh, we're all used to. Um, well, I mean, I mean uh, Dean Kelly's system, as far as I believe, is is very intensely Christian, and you're coming at it from a Thelemic standpoint. It, it, you know, it's just how, how does that differ? Well, the the Golden Dawn may have uh, you know projected a more mystical Christianity um, a, a flavor to it, and, but uh, I haven't done anything. Uh, uh, overtly polemic with it at all. I'm I'm just having the system as the system, um, and uh, you know I haven't thrown the baby out with the bathwater. I, I I firmly believe that uh, Nokian magic is developed by the Golden Dawn and and Mathers and Crowley uh, works absolutely perfectly well right right out of the Golden Dawn box. What I'm saying is they they ignored. Uh, 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 a great deal of very important, very, very empowering uh, material uh, uh, that comes before that. So uh, kind of the centerpiece of my, my book is just this little uh, ritual of preparation uh, whereby you activate the holy table, a- activate the, uh, the lamin, and you get yourself uh, uh, in tune with... Uh, with that holy table, and then you go on and do your Golden Dawn-type uh, uh, elemental or etheric magic. And I'm, uh, and I'm saying this from, from someone that, that uh, uh, practiced Golden Dawn magic, Enochian magic, out of the box for 25 years, <laughs> and then for once I more or less uh, uh, figured out this little preparation process, uh, uh, prefaced all my Enochian work with this, uh, this little um, preparation ritual that utilizes this stuff, and I have to tell you, it's like the difference between black and white and Technicolor. <laughs> well, I've, I've actually I've actually done that because I was at your talk earlier on this year in in London, and we actually went through that process, and it was extremely powerful. Um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you quickly was uh, we've talked a lot about the the reception of the of the uh, Enochian system and so forth we haven't really touched on why anybody would actually want to do Enochian magic if I decided or somebody decides to pick up your book what are they looking to get from working Enochian magic you know that that's the best question to ask and the hardest question to answer <laughs> the, I I uh, I 
drove my publisher crazy by having two prologues to the book. And, uh, and the second prologue was simply called Why, Why Magic? You, know? <laughs> uh, you, could, you can answer the same or ask the same question about Enochian magic or any kind of magic, but just why magic anyway? You know? sure. and, I, and I wish that I could say, well, gentlemen, this is going to bring you a greater measure of, of health and, um, and wealth and uh, spiritual well-being, yeah, you're going to gain spiritual enlightenment with it. You know, I can't tell you any of that. Okay, <laughs> I don't even know why I uh, am attracted to this kind of activity and behavior uh, as my spiritual uh, uh, form of expression. Well, that's that's uh, an I, interesting I really that's an interesting thing that you say there because. Um, a lot of magic could be uh, construed as results magic. So you do a, you do a, um, a magical ritual for a specific result in, that might manifest in the real world. For instance, like goetic magic, you would you would summon a, a spirit to go do something for you. But Enochian right. vision magic is about having personal mystical visions which give you more insight into life. Would you say that was a, a, a fair assessment or not? Oh, a- a- absolutely. It's 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 magic that works. Uh, it, this works on on you, sure. and and everybody has their 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 own private vocabulary of of, uh, of images that trigger certain things in uh, uh, in their own lives and their own souls. And so when we do it like uh, Nokian uh, uh, scry and aether uh, in a group, which is not the best way to do it, but it's 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 a good way to get started. Um, uh, everybody sees a he sees a little bit of different vision. Uh, some see drastically dis- different things, but for the most part, when we start start to um, examine it, there's a, there's a there's a thread of of uh, commonality in um, in the visions, as as if we've opened up temporarily in in the room uh, uh, a magical environment, a specific very uh, uh, very focused and narrow uh, level of consciousness uh, we by doing our, our chanting and our opening and, and reciting the calls it's as though we're, we're all taking the same uh, drug sure. and until until that drug wears off we're all sort of on the same trip <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, and so the uh, but I make the point that magic, just magic as it is, is an is an art, and it's an art form. It's a spiritual art form, and there are people who are drawn. There are people who are artists at heart. You know, you, you can't really you know ask a you know a great ballet dancer or a great operatic. Uh, um, uh, a singer, or, or you can't really ask a sculptor or a, or a painter. Well, why are you an artist? <laughs> you know, why throw your life away? Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's... you could be selling real estate. Yes, yeah, sure. And uh, and um, and they usually they can't tell you, or if, if they're telling you, they're they're, they're uh, uh, probably not getting down to the to the core of what the truth of the matter is. You don't know why you're an artist. You just, you just, you just got to do it. 
You've been quoted. You've been quoted yeah. say, saying that you can only change one thing with magic uh, yourself. Uh, do you therefore see magic as having a limited effect on um, objective reality, or no effect on objective reality? Uh, and if so, what are your reasons for taking that stance? My definition or my understanding of objective reality is uh, fluctuates from microsecond to microsecond um, anyway. But uh, uh, speaking for myself, I can I can uh, uh, say at least on one level and be truthful that yes, I affect my objective reality <laughs> uh, through magic all the time and. Uh, you know, I don't know if we could take a videotape of things and say, well, that happened because he did magic and or that didn't happen because he didn't do magic. But um, it is a it's, it's a it's a part of my life as much as as breathing in and out is part of my life. And and I I don't I no longer uh, uh, separate or, or divorce what I think is a magical act and what is just uh, a mundane act of me going about my daily life. Yeah, it, it's all become magic. Uh, I, 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 I don't even, you know, interpret from moment to moment, oh, this is the reaction of my uh, uh, stumbling star ruby this morning, you know. Uh, uh, it, it, it's all it's all magic, and in in a way, um, I I think if someone had my attitude, uh, without my experiences and my uh, uh, and what I've gone through with life, if someone just had my attitude uh, toward how I view every every moment and every phenomena in my in my life, um, uh, I think uh, they might be. Uh, diagnosed as being insane, <laughs> or, uh, or, or, or certainly not. Uh, uh, perhaps I'm just insane in a very socially acceptable way. Well, I've I've always thought that magic is is kind of a controlled schizophrenia in some way. Yeah, that's kind of the point I'm making. Um, well, you know. Uh, if you if you study Crowley, you, you're not just studying one Crowley. You're 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 studying about fifty Crowleys, <laughs> yeah. and and um, uh, he writes certain things uh, from the point of view of the level of consciousness that he was when he is Perdurabo, and he's writing and um, and and doing work uh, in his capacity as the Master Therian. So it. it uh, in a way, it's telling us that that as we climb the tree of life, as the Golden Dawn would like us to uh, to see our uh, our evolution in consciousness, uh, as we climb the tree of life, uh, we don't stop being the degree level we've just come out of. Part of us remains there, and that's kind of the idea is to, uh, uh, in a way, perfect who you are right now, rebalance yourself, make yourself a healthy lawn. Here's lawn on the telephone here, okay? <laughs> uh, but as 
as you achieve higher levels of consciousness, you've got a well-trained lawn here on the on the phone, uh, you know, making a living and and trying to be pleasant, you know, and uh, uh, but at the same time, you know, I have higher level. I've achieved higher levels of consciousness. I have achieved certain degrees. Okay. And it's it's nothing that has anything to do with paperwork or your or belonging to any organization or, or anything. Okay, um, and I never stop. I never lose the lawn that's on the phone. You know, when I become lawn who can um, astrally project, hmm. or the lawn that has uh, uh, a relationship with my angel. Yeah. I, 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 you never stop being all of your grades, and, and in a way, that's like controlled uh, uh, schizophrenia. It really is. But uh, and I think the idea of it, as I, <laughs> I wrote this goofy book called uh, Chicken Kabbalah of Rabbi Lama Ben Clifford, <laughs> and, and in the Chicken Kabbalah, I more or less, <clears throat> more or less, uh, uh, state that Kabbalistic thought is meant to. Uh, um, Make you go <clears throat> go crazy in a very socially acceptable way, uh, but at, at the very uh, at the very end of of uh, that craziness is uh, you know absorption into Godhead, and uh, and I kind of think that's that's how it is. That's why I'm not uh, uh, yeah I'm I'm happy to be very eclectic in uh, in my magic and. Uh, uh, you know, the the older I get, the the less uh, differentiation I, I observe between between all of these things. Uh, thanks a lot for coming back on the show, Lon. I've really enjoyed having you on. It's been really good uh, to learn about all this kind of stuff. It's uh, good of you. Uh, it, it, do you have any projects that you're working on at the moment that you could tell us about? I uh, oh sure, I've got um, I've got a couple um, like media. Uh, projects. I just uh, kind of finished up uh, being part of this uh, a DVD series called called The Great Work, and uh, kind of excited about that. Mm. And, um, Can you tell us a little bit? Oh, uh, produced by the same people that produced the Magical Egypt series uh, that I also was a part of, and um, uh, it's a series of five or six uh, uh, DVDs that. Uh, Sort of uh, uh, outline the uh, the fundamentals and the formula of of, uh, of initiation, and uh, it's it's sort of almost set up like a little initiatory uh, 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 experience. And uh, I'm just one of of about seven uh, people, including John Anthony West, the Egyptologist, and and uh, uh, and. And other people uh, that uh, uh, try to bring initiation, uh, the concept of uh, you know initiation, classical concept into uh, into the modern day. So I'm, I'm excited about that, and I'm working I'm working on a book called Low Magic. That sounds interesting. <laughs> Low Magic: Redeeming the Better Demons of Your Nature, uh, and. Uh, uh, in a way, it's it's turning out kind of kind of uh, 
as uh, you know, my life with the spirits part two. Get to tell little stories. It's very anecdotal, and kind of the centerpiece is a story of um, my exorcism of one of the oldest Catholic girls' schools in the United States. Ah. So, um, are you going to be doing any more classes for the Maybe Logic Academy? I'm doing one right now. Oh, you're in the middle of one at the uh, moment. Oh. I'm in the middle of a, of one, and I'm going to be repeating my initiation <clears throat> class, I think, in January. And um, then, if uh, if they still love me after <laughs> uh, after the second round of that initiation class, I'm I'm uh, working uh, right now on the on the text of uh, classes for an Enochian class. Oh, that'd be so. interesting. Yeah, definitely. Well, Lon, thanks again uh, for coming on. I've, you know, we always uh, enjoy having you on the show, and it's uh, you know, it's a great honour to be able to talk to you. Um, and we'll have to get you back on when your new book comes out. Okay. Excellent. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. Okay, <laughs> thanks, Lon. Thanks, Lon. Eerie Radio, opening the door to the unknown. Listener feedback. Really looking forward to the new episodes. So keep up with your work, guys. Thanks. Interviews. There's so many movies, so many documentaries, even books that come out that have factual information in it that maybe, you know, this is a gradual way of, of kind of educating the public to as to what's going on. Visit Erie Radio at www.erieradio.com. Excuse me, I've got some information I'd like to share with you. Did you know that 26 billion pickles are packed each year in the U.S.? That's about 9 pounds of pickles per person. More than half the cucumbers grown in the U.S. are made into pickles. Hey, pickle boy, let's talk pickles. The Podcast Pickle, that is. The Podcast Pickle is your resource for all the latest and greatest podcasts found in cyberspace with thousands of podcasts listed and more added every day. Here's some of the podcasts that you'll find at podcastpickle.com. <laughs> Geek Foo Action Grip. Beachcast. Comic Geek Speak. Speechless. Mad King. This Week in Tech, Warren Town Talk, NASCAR Zone, Shelly the Republican, A Voice from Eden, Jimmy McBean, Five Minutes with Wichita, Cinema Playground, Offbeat, The Logo Factory, The Sandy Warriors, Exit 50, This and That with Jeff and Pat, Thoughts on Psychiatry, Web Hosting Show, Merlin from Berlin, Random Cast, Jazz with Tiger, American Road Trip Show, The Drew M Podcast, The Slam Idol Podcast, Forgotten Tales, The Zencast, XboxStation.net, How to Do Stuff. <laughs> Now, Pickle has a whole new meaning. PodcastPickle.com, the world's best podcast directory. Hello, and welcome to the second installment of MySpace Heroes with me, Danny Tank. This week, Reprisal by Big Sid. Gary by Kramer v. Kramer v. Godzilla. A fantastic name, I'm sure you agree. And last but certainly not least, Dirt for Fantasy by Twiggy and the k Mesons. If you like what you hear, go and tell them.
All right, thanks to Daddy Tank there for the second installment of MySpace Heroes. That was, uh, once again, lots of cool, weird music, which we enjoy on this show. And uh, Okay, so if you want us to play your music on the show, just get in contact with Daddy Tank, <laughs> which is a cool, great name still, I think. Uh, it's daddytank at sittingnow.co.uk, and he'll, uh, I'm sure he'll uh, get back to you as soon as possible if he thinks it's suitable. <laughs> All right, so Lon Mollo Duquette, once again, a great interview. Like we said earlier, he's one of those people I could probably chat to for hours. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, he's, he's such a... It's a very gracious man, and he, he will always uh, he, he will always um, uh, present things in a in a really fun way. Um, the thing is with the Nokia Magic is that that just there we we didn't even touch the tip of the tip of the iceberg. No. Uh, <laughs> I mean that would that would I mean it would be good to go and look at certain aspects of it in in slightly more detail at some point. I think, yeah, because definitely. You you can spend so much time talking over the generalities of it and looking at how how the whole thing started that before you know it an hour's gone by but um yeah it's great <laughs> really good fun to talk to lot i think like like we were talking about this before maybe we should maybe even do a kind of spin-off show about more in-depth stuff of magic that might be a, a good idea but uh yeah yeah get... i think i think definitely otherwise um we tend to sort of get into a situation where we're uh doing lots of one-on-one shows which is great if people just want to get the sort of overview yeah. but to look minutiae of things I think is really uh, really important and and yeah I mean I'd certainly be up for doing a bit more of that definitely. yeah definitely yeah so that's maybe something to look out for in the future right sure. ne- next week we have an interview I've been trying to get since episode one of this show and uh, it was meant to happen in August then it was meant to happen in what last month and finally we have Douglas Rushkoff on the show next week um, he is probably my I guess favourite living writer on kind of subculture and uh, counterculture and uh, along with Are You Serious so this really completes the set for me in many ways of the people that I originally wanted to get on the show and it's a big deal and it's episode 20 so that's a nice round number to have him on so yeah that'll be on uh, we're recording that next week so it'll be up next week and really 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 looking forward to talking to Douglas Rushkov now if there's anything you want to get in contact with me about uh, regarding the site um, which you should check out by the way because we have lots of stories and stuff on there uh, it's uh, ken at sittingnow.co.uk if you want to send weekly weird news to Claire it's claire at sittingnow.co.uk uh, if people want to get in contact with you Adrian how would they do that? oh good question um, would you like me to oh, set you up a I, sitting now address? <laughs> uh, yeah why not yeah, yeah we'll that'd do that. be good I mean I've got a number of different email addresses but it'd be better just to get it straight to uh, straight to a sitting now one if, if we can yeah so make sure you check out Adrian's articles he's written some great uh couple of really good reviews and uh, an interview with i've forgotten his name now julian what's his name julian doyle That's julian the doyle one, yeah. the uh, <laughs> director and co-writer of the chemical wedding yeah, yeah the uh, yeah. chap nice chap the historically accurate story of crowley yeah. <laughs> oh yes 100 percent historically accurate yes <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely <laughs> a fair balanced depiction of crowley in that absolutely film. <laughs> yes yes very balanced well, thanks for coming on the show, Adrian. I appreciate you, uh, you know, helping out. And, uh, I look forward to coming on again. Yeah, cool. Right, anyway, uh, so yeah, like I said, if you want to contact me, you know, get, get us, any of us on those uh, email addresses. So I guess Adrian's will be Adrian at sittingnow.co.uk. Um, yeah, right. I don't know what you're going to write about, but please do. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. Well, uh, yeah, we'll see you next week with our Douglas Rushkoff interview. Really looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, see you next week.